Good morning, Edgewood Bible. Wow, you guys are not only good looking, you're also responsive. That's, that's amazing. Good to be back. San Bonani, sia jabulu ukunibon. Okay. That's uh, greetings to you. It's good to see you again. You commissioned us five and a half years ago. We were here in February 2018. My wife, Karen. Karen, could you stand for a minute? This is my golden girl. We've been married 41 years. Thank you, my girl. (coughs) You sent us out on a mission by the grace of God to bring the gospel to the Zulu people of South Africa. And so we've come back to give a report because it's been a long while. We have grown older, and so have you. Uh, Thank you for praying for us, supporting us. Ladies, thank you for the cards. This is from Sandy. I got this this week. Uh, This is unusual. Some of you don't know this, but there are women in your congregation that actually pray for us and read the newsletters, and they write notes, little love notes to us, and they mention what they're praying for because they have read our prayer letters. You have no idea how helpful, encouraging that is. You're one of two churches that does that. So I wanted to say thank you. Yeah, when Karen and I were here last, we were 57. Now we're 63. Um, We're kind of like Ikea furniture. We look really good, but we're probably not going to last very long. We first went out uh, when we were 35 to the mission field with little kids. And uh, it's been a a long and amazing journey walking with the Lord through this. My background was in law. I was a Philadelphia trial attorney, litigator for about seven years. Found something better to do. Made the money, made the hat, you know, got the t-shirt. But we were happy to go on to some better things to do. We head up the Gen 2 ministry group. Grace Baptist of Amanzimtodi is a South African church released to independence, but they are harnessing in about 11 missionary families from five different agencies that work together to do gospel ministry among the Zulu people. And it is fabulous to see the teamwork and the unity, a blending mixture of South African nationals as well as American missionaries working together. It's phenomenal. We do everything from... Compassion ministry, to orphan care, to church planting, to leadership training, and biblical counseling. And the most famous of those is the Seven Rivers Outreach. You can pick up our prayer card. You can gather information about it from sevenriversoutreach.org. We are blessed. (laughs) Sometimes Karen and I come out from there, a day of work out in the rural areas, 90-degree heat, and we say, yeah, we, lived a, we live a charmed existence. We are living the dream. Even though we're old, we're living the millennial Gen X, Gen Y dream. We're out there working with AIDS orphans and we're training pastors. I just can't think of a better thing to do with my life. It is what God has put in our heart and we are blessed to do it. One of the guys that we're involved in training is a, uh, a math high school teacher named Sondlo Lekwani. So we have three clicks in the Zulu language. Kids, can you do this? So the cue is a sound, like tick-tock. No, some of you are slapping your tongue against the roof of the bottom of your mouth. It's not, it's not, that's two sounds. It's like a clock. Good, some of you have it. Others of you are linguistically challenged. Um, so if I say, you speak the truth. Uh, we also have an X, which is a, like giddy up horsey. Okay, good, very good. And the C is a, like a tisk tisk. Yeah, good, very good. So if you say, um, um, I'm knocking on your door, can we please have a discussion? Can we please have a talk? That's... Um, Okay, got that? Okay, never mind. So, Pastor Sondlo's name, Ekwani, so it begins with a C, Ekwani. Um, he grew up as a pretty typical Zulu kid. Like nothing, no food in the house. Never knew his dad, lived with his mom. 
uh, and lived with his grandma. So his grandmom was a Sengoma. She was a witch doctor. So Sun Lu grew up, went off to university. They had enough money to get him to university. And as he was studying, someone had a university outreach and led him to faith in Christ. It was great. And a whole group of these young college students start to study together. They were discipled. They learned biblical counseling ideas. They started to actually learn how to lead a Bible study and how to preach. <clears throat> and um, he was growing in his Christian walk when all of a sudden his grandmother died. Now, in the African traditional religion, which is ancestor worship, uh, you, a Sengoma is one who communicates with the dead. So communicates with the ancestors. You're not used to this worldview. We don't think this way. You ladies, you're cooking on the stove at home, and then your kid comes in and is running, mommy, he hit me, and so you turn around and you're tending to the children who are fighting, and then your cell phone rings, and all of a sudden, this flame goes up on your stove, burns the back wall, burns you know the air vent and everything else, and you turn everything off. Man. I should have been more careful. But sometimes the Lord allows these things to happen. Got that? There are three realms of existence. The physical realm, the spirit world, and the God realm. Normally when you've got a problem, you talk about it in the physical realm, I should have been more careful, or the top realm. God sometimes allows these things to happen. I guarantee you, none of you women said, it's our great de departed grandmother. She's angry that we cut down the tree in the back. Huh? You probably never thought that, did you? With the Africans, everything in life is driven by the blessing or the cursing of the ancestral spirits, the living dead who are all among us. They are in this room, according to them. If the sound goes out or the PowerPoint ceases to work, they have this fear. So a person who is the mediator between you and the ancestors is the Sengoma. And she goes through this thing, warning guys about the movie Encanto. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no. I've watched it. I was horrified to watch it. I wouldn't talk about Bruno either because what Bruno did, casting down the herbs and the bones in the middle in that circle, dude, that was straight out of animism, communicating with the dead, things forbidden in the scripture. Moana's communicating with her grandma. Yeah, Disney's pushing this whole line. Disney Plus membership dropped by 10 million in the last quarter, I understand, but uh, yeah, they got issues. You know, from an African worldview perspective, we're looking at that and we're like, he gets. So when a grandmom dies, the idea is the spirits that possess the grandmom that enabled her to communicate with the dead pass to her grandchild, be it a daughter, granddaughter, or a grandson. So here's Sondlo. He's a believer. He's studying at university. He's growing in his faith. All of a sudden, she dies. They have the funeral. And about a month later, he wakes up with terrible nightmares, tremors, wakes up in a cold sweat, absolutely petrified. The next night, same thing. The next night, same thing. And then all of a sudden, he starts to get blisters and boils breaking out on his skin. And he was afraid. And he went to his friends, and he's like, all he had to do was open his shirt. And all the Zulus are like, the call of the ancestors. The ancestral spirits are calling you and they will torment you until you give in and receive training to become a witch doctor. So Sondlo gathered with believers and they said, well, the ancestors are not among us. The ancestors are in heaven or they are in hell. So we know who's causing this. It's the evil one, jerk, defeated foe, but he doesn't know, so he's still causing the trouble. And they're causing these manifestations in poor Sondlo. So the believers gather together. They pray. They fast. 
They call on the Lord, the power of the Lord against the power of the evil one. And it all stopped. Hallelujah. Our God reigns supreme. Now, you probably haven't dealt with this in uh, Edgewood and Puyallup recently, but uh, this is life in Africa. And some people ask, why? Why is it in Asia and Africa you get more demonic manifestations? <laughs> I don't know. I'll ask the Lord when we get home. Part of it is I think they have just had centuries of messing with spirits, trying to traffic with and communicate with spirits, whereas in the Christian, more Judeo-Christian worldview, we stay away from that. And so they have sown that, so there's a lot of activity. But Sondo was afraid. And as we were teaching him, we, we go down and teach a group of the, the leadership at this African church. He was sharing that this happened in his life, and we were like, whew, so thankful that he prayed because there are guys who have dropped out a third-year seminary and gone to study to become a witch doctor. That's nuts. So he stayed true. He stayed faithful. He continued his walk with the Lord. He's learned expository preaching. This morning, he got up in his pulpit in South Africa, and he preached away. Great godly man, married in Nomfundo. They've got a couple of kids walking with the Lord, living for the Lord, one of our students. Fear. Fear is an unpleasant feeling that someone or something might cause you harm and suffering. It's one of the oldest emotions of mankind, obviously. Africans live in what's called a fear power culture. They are afraid of their community, and they are afraid of the living dead, the ancestors among them. Their life is dominated by fear. When you're coming up on an exam at university, you've got to pass this. What would you do? You say, I'd study hard. They study hard, but they also get a chicken, cut its head off, pour the blood of the chicken on the family tree. And we're like, ancestors are spirits. Yes. You are worshiping them. Oh, no, no, we do not worship them. We are only honoring, venerating them. Why does a spirit want a blood sacrifice? Uh, we do not know. Yeah, you don't know. I'll tell you why. Because the evil one loves counterfeit blood sacrifices. And so the Zulu are very similar to Israel in the Old Testament times. The Zulu believe in one God. And they have a limited fear of that God. They believe he's very far away. He doesn't really care about what we do. But they also believe in all of these other competing gods. And they offer blood sacrifices, just like the Canaanites did. So that's very much what we're kind of like missionaries in Canaan. They live in a fear culture. The culture is driven by fear. Not wanting to go out at night, fearing the spirits around them. We bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, which can deliver them from a life of fear and teach them about the love of God and the power of God that can overcome the evil one and bring them to a life not driven by fear, but driven by selfless love. Obviously, not all fear is negative. Uh, the gospel begins with the fear of the Lord, that we are facing judgment for our sins, that one day we will meet our creator to whom we are accountable and every secret sin, every thought and motive which is sinful that nobody else knows about, not even your wife or husband, not even your brothers or sisters, all of those things will be evaluated. And knowing the fear of God, then we present them with the love of God, that Jesus Christ, God sent Jesus to die in our place and for our sins, to deliver us from the judgment that was due to us and reconcile us with himself. And now in our restored relationship with God, we still fear him, but we also love him. And this fear and this love work together, strangely, side by side. We're gonna look at that this morning. Which should we focus on more? Fear of the Lord or love of the Lord? So this morning we're gonna look at moving beyond fear, looking at our progression to maturity in Christ, our text is 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. South Africa, we say one. And there it is. And you see I've highlighted the words fear and love. 
As we would say, akuko kwasaba utandweni. Kepa utando ola peleleo luya osa ukwasaba. Sounds so good. But I don't want to speak in tongues. There must be an interpreter. Uh, so here it is. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Father, guide us as we focus on this verse and the verses that surround it. We fear you, but not enough. We love you, but not enough. So teach us, school us, train us. Capture our hearts this morning, we pray by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first letter of John, 1 John, is written when John is about 80, 85 years old. Okay? Um, he's the, probably the last surviving of the apostles. He's writing to them to differentiate false teachers from those who are truly in the faith. And he wants believers to be convinced, um, to, to be sure that they are truly in the faith. He uses the word know 37 times in the letter. So that's obviously the point he's really trying to drive home. And he sets up three basic tests, okay? The first is the moral test. Are you walking in the light? As Christians, we keep God's commandments and we do not practice sin, okay? Number two, the theological test. Are you walking in the truth? As Christians, we believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he is the God-man, the only God-man, and the Messiah, the only one through whom we can be saved. And then thirdly is the relational test. Are you walking in love? So are you walking in light? Are you walking in truth? Are you walking in love? We as believers, we love other believers, and we love the Lord, but we do not love the world system, neither the things that are in the world system. So John hits this love theme three times. In chapter 2, verses 3 to 17, he loops back into it in chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, and then again here in chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. So our verse that we're focusing on is verse 18. That's in the middle of this third loop of love, which sounds like a teenage romance novel. I'm stuck in the third loop of love. Okay? So you see in verse 18... That fear is mentioned four times and love is mentioned three times. So those are my, my two jumping off points and I want to really kind of do a meditation on these two verses, the, the two v- words in the verse, focused on the verse uh, today. Point number one is looking love in the face. The word love here, of course, is the famous Greek word agape love and you, you've heard it probably many times if you've been in the faith for very long. Agape is an unselfish, self-sacrificing desire to meet the needs of an object that you have, a person or an object that you've committed to. An unselfish, self-sacrificing desire to meet the needs of a person or object that you have set your love upon. Notice that it is more based in the will than it is in the emotions. Some people, some people in South Africa adopt little African orphans because he's so cute. She's so cute. 63% guys of the adoptions in South Africa are disadopted later on. Can you imagine? I mean, we've heard of divorce, putting away a spouse that you made a covenant with. But can you imagine adopting a child and then disadopting the child and sending it back? That's because you didn't do it based on agape love. You did it based on some kind of phileo, warm, brotherly love. I love you because you're cute. When all of a sudden you're not so cute, I'm going to return you as if to Walmart. Imagine such a thing. Agape is based in the will. Guys and girls, you better make sure that you have agape for a person you intend to marry because it's going to take, this isn't concrete, okay, it's going to take the concrete of agape to hold that relationship together. There, got it. It's going to take the concrete to hold that relationship because the warm, fuzzy feelings disappear at times. Be careful of describing agape as God's love. Not necessarily, no. It is a Greek idea. The word wasn't used a whole lot, but Paul in his writing in 2 Timothy said, Demas 
has forsaken me having loved this present world, agape. He set his commitment love on the world. I don't know. I tend to guess that Demas inherited something big, like a big vineyard or an olive, whatever. Something grabbed his attention where it's like, huh, I can't do ministry anymore. I got this thing. And Paul was like, that's it. He, have, he loved this present world. He had agape, set his affections upon. But agape for people is good. <laughs> Some people will adopt an orphan, even adopt an orphan with disabilities, sight unseen. That's agape. I'm setting my love on the child. I will learn to love them as we go along. So the section here in 1 John chapter 4 begins at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. That's cool. Very interesting. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So love comes from God. That is, it's, when you become a believer, agape love is a free download. Are you following me? It's an optional download, but it's a free download. Every believer should download God's grace to have love for the unlovely and the unlikely people in your life. God is love, the famous phrase in verse 16. So if God's spirit is living inside of you, it cannot help but manifest in this love. The fruit of the spirit is love. Number one on the list, Galatians 5. If the spirit of God is in you, this love, this self-sacrificing commitment to bring value and meet the needs of others is going to manifest in you. You say, well, I'm an introvert. Get over it. So are my wife and I. My wife's got amazing people skills, much better than I. You know, she's, be careful. Some of you, she'll come up and, how are you doing today? And she'll look right in your eyes and you're like, can I talk to you about my deepest fears? People just like open up, talk to her. But she's an introvert. She goes home and she's exhausted, you know? But the Spirit of God in you, as you are filled with the Spirit, it will manifest this agape for each other, for the Lord. It's really cool. Look at verses 12 and 13. No one has ever seen God. What a bizarre phrase to put in the middle of a discussion of love. (laughs) No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or manifested in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his Holy Spirit, his spirit. So he says, no one has ever seen God. Now I know some of you guys are like, wait a minute. Didn't Daniel, Daniel 7, he saw the Lord, you know, the ancient of days, right? Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. What's that? They saw God, Moses on the mount, he saw God? No, they saw manifestations, very (laughs) limited. Probably Moses saw the most zing manifestation of God. God's like, hey, look, if I were to just like show you, you'd, you'd die. So let me just cover you up. And the others were these manifestations, you know, the ancient of days, like a man with white hair and so forth. That's not God. That's a manifestation so the humans could understand. Paul wrote very clearly in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy, well, 2 Timothy, God alone is immortal who dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen nor can see. You know, these goofy atheists. Dude, I can't see God, so I don't believe God exists. Dude, if you were to see God, you would not exist. All of a sudden, this this little crispy, crunchy thing. There goes the atheist. God is being kind to you by not showing you himself. Idiot. Okay, so, sorry, I have no time for atheists, but anyway, how do people see God? People see God through you. There was a time when God became a human, Jesus Christ, and people, when they saw this human Jesus acting, reacting, responding, they saw God in human flesh. And Jesus said, I'm leaving, but greater works than these will be 
done by those who follow me. So the spirit of Jesus now has come to dwell inside of us. He's the spirit of God. That is the Holy Spirit. So as he manifests in us when we are filled with the spirit. Now if we grieve and quench him, we're not filled with him. But as we're filled with the spirit, we will manifest this love. And people will see as much as they can see God by spending time with you and with me. And it should refresh them. And they should come away challenged and fueled. As you keep studying the Bible over and over again, you get this deeper appreciation of what God has done for you. John says in the passage, he's, the Father sent the Son to be the propitiation. That, that is to, to absorb the lightning bolt of God's wrath, to fully exhaust God's wrath, which was headed for you, headed for me. And Jesus absorbed that fully exhausting God's wrath for you. We've been forgiven. We've been regenerated, adopted, given his spirit to indwell us, given prince and priest status, princess and priestess. So ladies, when your husband's treating you not so great, you say, wait a minute, buddy. I'm a princess in the kingdom. Just watch. He'll, his mouth will just kind of drop open. I've been given an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, will not fade away. All of these things, you are a child of the creator. His spirit dwells in you. You are extraordinary in God's sight. To be able to understand yourself through God's eyes, rather than just saying, oh, I'm ugly, I'm dumb, I'm slow, I'm not talented, I'm, 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 I'm. You're talking about yourself all the time. Jump into God's eyes and look at yourself through his eyes because he loves you. He's also given you a commission, given you dozens of promises for when life gets tough in the world. But also, if God's spirit is comfortably, it abides in us, it's comfortably at home in us, the spirit causes these feelings of deep love for other people as well. We interact with unlikely and un unlovely people. So when Karen and I first went to South Africa in 1995, we were involved in a church plant in a very kind of a white, white collar community, the affluent northern suburbs of Johannesburg. All we have to do is tell a South African, we planted Santon Bible Church. They're like, oh, Santon. It's swanky. So we were there because... I was a lawyer background, she's European background. It's like we meshed well, and we did. We had a great time, and the church grew, and it was wonderful. Second church plant, second missionary journey, was a little more racially mixed and a lot more blue collar. So my preaching had to change. Use smaller words and more punchy rhetoric in order to capture people's attention. Because they're, yeah, it was a lot of fun the way... My style changed. When I look back on my notes from when I first came out of the law, I was like, ooh, what a bore, you know? So anyway, this time we go back. We're age 58, 57, 58. We have to start learning a new language. With brains, you put something in, it drops back out again. Put something in, it drops back out again. But you try, and the Zulu, they snicker. But here we are, and I, I behold my, my wonderful wife sitting in a room that's 90 degrees, concrete dust floor surrounded by 48 rural Zulu women. <laughs> She's the only white person in the room. And I just, I never thought we would end up here. And it's wonderful. And she's run a, a Bible study for a year and a half, almost two years now with 45 unsaved women. Try that. 28 studies in the book of James. Now we're 16 studies into the gospel of Mark. And our first woman has said, I am following Christ alone, no ancestors. Hallelujah. You say, well, yeah, I mean, amen, hey? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But that's, that's a year and a half of sewing. And sometimes Karen's like, uh -huh. why am I doing this? I'm old. And then God gives fruit, and we burst into tears. He's going to save more. I believe it's so. He's asked us to go there. And look, we could have a Noah ministry, you know, 
preaching for 600 years and having our family as converts, and that's it. But we're starting to see the word of God will not return void. Line upon line, give them time. They have to go against their whole culture, everybody in the community, to say, I stand for Christ, and I'm rejecting this idea of the ancestors. Any manifestation with a sangoma speaking in a strange voice in a trance, that's a demon, not an ancestor. And that's very, very hard for an African to say. But it's starting to happen. But it is the love of God. It is agape. As you go in and you're like, she's got two witch doctors in the Bible study. She's got an illiterate woman who's also a known thief. And so some of the scissors have been missing from the knitters and all the rest. And we, you know, had to tell them, Ladies, some of the supplies are missing. We are watching you. We know who you are. All of a sudden, the scissors reappeared. Uh, it was really good. Slowly but surely. So your natural fear of people in other groups is actually overcome, cast out, chased away by this agape love. As humans, we are such fearful creatures, and as believers, that fear can cause a multitude of problems. So let's take a look, point number two, looking fear in the face, and they, the points get shorter. Don't, don't panic. Fear is a big theme in Scripture, mentioned about 500 times. Fear can be very motivating, front burner fear, we call it. It can be good or bad, you know, kids, you know how it is. You can, you can do what's wrong out of fear, for your friends, you can lie, you can steal, do anything that your peers want, that peer pressure, fear of man. Or fear can be good. You work hard to make the team. You are pushing, you're afraid you won't make the team, and so you push hard to pass that test, to hide in a storm, to run from the lion. No, we learned you don't run from a lion. You stand, stand square to a lion and then take one step toward the lion. That's a whole other message. Okay. Um, you obey the law. You obey the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Fear can be a good thing. But fear can also be, as many of you know, debilitating and even paralyzing. What we call back burner fear, anxiety. Always these fears operating in the back of your mind, destroying your mental and physical health over time. The biggest fears we have generally are fear of people and fear of the unknown, fear of the future. Fearing people, you know what the Lord has said. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You can have a debilitating fear of a person. It can be your spouse. Some people fear their children. Some people fear an in-group, cliques that exert power. It can be in a church. It can be in an organization, in your office. You know that. The power holders, the in-group. You can fear an out-group. Immigrants, refugees, other people groups, those people. We fear them. We don't want them around us. This fear should be driven away by love. Spirit-enabled discipline of agape love is what can enable you to overcome this ongoing fear. You do right, trust in a sovereign God, and love even your enemies. Fear of the unknown is a huge one, one of the strongest kinds of fear. Fear of the possible future, what could happen if. It's growing almost everywhere in the world. The world is gripped by anxiety right now. I see a lot of you nodding your heads. The more comfortable you are, <laughs> the more you own, the more you have this kind of worry. You worry about the uncertain future. It's called a rich people problem. The more you have, the more you worry about losing it or breaking down or what will happen if it drives the insurance industry. Most of us struggle with what's called ambiguity tolerance. We don't like not knowing the future. <coughs> Many of us have, particularly in the European descendants, we, we love control. We know what is right and we believe everyone should do it exactly the way we like it. Remember COVID? You had a lot of churches bust the guts out of each other, showing hatred and division, disunity, because I know the way it should, we should handle COVID. Woo, baby. 
All the control issues came surfacing. South Africa, we behave much better than you Americans, I'm afraid. You all beat the stuffings out of each other. But we were like, okay, hard lockdown. All right, let's, let's flex, let's adapt. You know, when a billion people on the earth are worried about eating today, And so all these big problems, they, they don't worry about them. They have this thing, you know, especially believers, when they pray, give us this day our daily bread. They're actually praying. When have you prayed, give us this day our daily bread? Because you didn't know where today's bread would come from. When you're living in that kind of world and you hear about political problems, it doesn't really bother you so much. You're focused on your daily bread. We fear the next elections. In your country, next year. In our country, next year. Most of the world right now does not like their political leaders. In any country in the world that I know of. Yeah, we really love our president. You know, you hardly hear about that anymore. There's riots and protests. We fear people using violence as an acceptable tool of social change. It's happening more and more. Listen to this scenario. Our former president was arrested and sent to prison for a number of crimes that he said were politically motivated. <laughs> That's our country. And when he went to prison, the country went nuts. You're like, oh, uh-huh. Tell us more. Yeah, we destroyed about 25 malls, were emptied of everything in the mall, and 150 shopping centers were emptied. 300,000 people lost their jobs because of rioting and looting, because of political motivated protest. I caution you, you never heard Jesus going around, yeah, that's Caesar, he's corrupt as can be. Yeah, that's Caesar, he's having sex with men, sex with women, that's Caesar. John the Baptist caused, caused a fuss about Herod and he got sent to prison. Jesus avoided it. Paul avoided it. Corruption in politics? Absolutely all around them. What's our job? Get the gospel to people. It is not get Christians in office. I understand that's important. I went to law school because I was one day going to run for office. Hallelujah. I did not go into politics. I would be a dead man today if I had done it. Think of me, 63 years old. I'm that perfect. I would have been a congressman. I have friends who are in politics. God bless their souls. That's a deeper mission than I have. We want people in office as if they're going to redeem the culture for us because we don't want to do the hard work of sharing the gospel with our neighbor and our coworker one person at a time. That's how you change America, guys. Leading your neighbors to Christ. Don't be a coward and say, I'm not going to share the gospel, but I'm going to vote for a Christian to be in office. How dare you politicize your faith? Okay, I'll step down from my soapbox. Whew. Yeah. Africans, man, they do it big. You guys are learning about it. America's starting to behave like Africa. We see what's happening on the news in America, and we're like, this looks like Johannesburg. But it's not. It's Kansas City. Strange. Fear. Let me say this. As your fear of the Lord and love for the Lord increase, it is inversely proportional to your fear of the unknown and fear of man and fear of the future of your country. The more you fear the Lord, the more you have a big God who's sovereign enough and is the controller of everything that is taking place, your fear of these things will subside. Sometimes it gets rough. Sometimes there are protests. Our guys on our team actually stood at the barricades as mobs came toward them and guys were firing warning shots in the air. It got pretty hairy. And it's hard not to have the fear of man, but that's front burner fear. That is self-preservation. But Jesus said, fear not those who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill your body and your soul in hell. Ultimately, you fear the Lord and you do what you can, but not motivated out of fear. The way we respond to fear is to control, and sometimes through great anger. And so you see this functioning. It's got a very bad dynamic in many, many countries of the world right now.
Of course, the greatest unknown for most people is death. People fear that threshold. The more you love God, though, the less you fear that threshold. Jesus died in part, Hebrews 2.15, to deliver those, all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Being dead, that's nothing to fear. Death is a little scary. What's the threshold I will use to cross over? Karen and I joke that <clears throat> if one of us is diagnosed as terminally ill with cancer, we're going to rent a very fast Lamborghini. We're going to find a very tall cliff and whew, collect the insurance, take out a big insurance policy and collect. Because we'd rather go together. And Karen's like, no, I want to die first. I'm like, no, I want to die first. We get into it. We have no fear of death. You can't. You say, don't you understand? Working in South Africa, that's one of the most violent countries in the world. Yeah, we died before we went there. And you have to. You can't go there and then worry of somehow you're going to preserve yourself. Kiss your life goodbye, and then you'll be most fruitful and productive for the Lord. Fear of man, fear of the unknown, fear of spirits for the Africans, that is their big difficulty. And then, of course, there's fear of the Lord. Our God is the one that we answer to. The fear of the Lord is mentioned as a good thing many times in the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Most of you could finish that. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil and turning away from evil. It's basically obeying God's moral law. The friendship of the Lord. Ah, what a wonderful phrase. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Twice mentioned in the New Testament, the early church continued in the fear of the Lord. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We know about the judgment that's coming. We've got to share the gospel with people. The problem for us as humans is that God does not hammer us immediately for disobeying. He's not an immediate law enforcer due to his being patient and long-suffering. But we all misread this as God is not here, God doesn't care, he's not watching, he doesn't think what I've done is so bad, because normally we're used to the parenting thing. You did an naughty thing, boom, you, you pay immediately. And God doesn't make me pay, so he doesn't care. So we, whoop, there goes the fear of the Lord, and we walk around without the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord comes about with meditation on what death and what's after death. And if you don't meditate on you fill your life with noise and activity to avoid thinking about what is coming, and we stop fearing him. Point number three is the harmony of fear and love. The fear of the Lord is the beginning it is the baseline motivation for obedience. It's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's not the sum and substance of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. Like when we rear our children, <clears throat> like good teachers, good parents, let them fear us first. Got that, children? Be afraid. Be very afraid. When they're little, imprint your mastery over them. Cause them to walk, now, not in cowering, cringing fear, but fear, respect. Healthy, awesome, overwhelming, reverential respect for dad. And as time goes on, you admit them nearer to your familiarity. Slowly. But if you want to be a friend to your two-year-old, you're toast. You know, it's like the teacher at the beginning of school comes in with a bunch of junior high students, sits down. Hi, my name's Mr. Smith, but you can call me Bob. I want to be your friend. That teacher's dead meat. I won't give him till mid-September until they, they rip him to shreds. But if you have a teacher who says, good morning, my name is Mr. Smith. Here are your 18 assignments for tomorrow. You will have them done. I want them 12-point type aerial on type on your paper, you say, we're only in sixth grade. Learn how to type overnight. You be tough. Our motto as teachers was never smile till Thanksgiving. Why? Start with fear. And then at Thanksgiving, all of a sudden, there's a little smirk. And the kids are like, Mr. Smith, is, he's human. He's nice. And then they give you 
trembling, they give you gifts at Christmas time. Thank you. Have a good Christmas. When they come back January, February, it's like, kids, I bought donuts for you this morning. (gasps) All of a sudden, they will love the teacher. You start, you always move from stern to soft. We start with the fear of the Lord. But fear is not the only way, obviously, that we interact with a God who loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And so we have this fear thing, but then we also grow in love. A life lived in the fear of the Lord sounds good and biblical, but then fear and love walk side by side and they grow together as you realize how big God is, how strong God is, how close God is, that God is actually within you, watches everything that you watch. It's funny how we're so inconsistent with our worldview. Where's God? Oh, everywhere, really. Is he next to you? Yes, really. So when you sin, what are you thinking? What if Jesus was here? Oh, I I wouldn't do that. Guess what? Jesus is here! Huh? Yeah. We live totally inconsistent. We like, we make God disappear. And then we do our sin stuff. God is present with you at all times. And at first that breeds a little bit of fear. (laughs) I better not do that. He's like watching. 24-hour CCTV right on the inside. But then after a while, it's, you're a good God. You love me. You've made me your son. I've got this amazing future. You're not just watching me like an enforcer. You're walking with me. You're living through me. This is cool. This is fun. There are times where you Get up and speak, right, Jeff? And you're like, I'm not sure where the words are coming from, but sure, this is amazing. And you feel like the word of the Lord is just flowing through you to his people. As we grow in the fear of the Lord, we find that other fears start to decline. The fear of man, the fear of peers, the fear of the unknown. And when we do fear, we run to Christ Still, my soul, be still, and do not fear, though winds of change may rage tomorrow. God is at your side. No longer dread the fears of unexpected sorrow. God, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord, of peace, renew a steadfast spirit within me to rest in you alone. So fourthly, point four, moving beyond fear. You see in verses 17 and 18, we move back to our key verse John mentions the word perfect love or perfected love twice. And it does two things. Number one, perfected love drives away our fear of the future day of judgment. We can face death and face God with confidence because we are living as Jesus lived in this world. Filled with his spirit, loving other people selflessly, telling people God's truth. All our sins are taken care of. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. You are continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth through his spirit that dwells in you. And number two, our key verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the love of the Lord is the perfection of wisdom. Cue video, guys. There it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the love of the Lord is the perfection of wisdom. There comes a point as you walk in maturity with Christ that your fear of the Lord continues to grow, but your love of the Lord grows even greater, stronger, faster. And so when you're motivated, the fear of the Lord is there. It's not that you no longer fear him, but the love of the Lord overwhelms. It says in the text, uh, perfect love Casts out. We have, we have Osha, that he chases away like a dog chases a cat. Perfect love chases away fear. Fear of the Lord is still there, but the love of the Lord is overwhelming. Well, so what? So what? What about you on Tuesday? Every sin that we commit is a result of four things. Number one, a wrong view of God. Number two, a lack of thankfulness. Number three, 
Not enough fear of the Lord. Number four, not enough love for the Lord. It is worth you spending some time in prayer, weeping and saying, forgive me, I have not feared you enough and I have not loved you enough. Next time you commit that sin, don't just say, darn, I broke the rule book. Every sin is personal, guys. You're offending the God who loves you and bought you. You do not love him or fear him enough. We, not you, we. Do you sin primarily because you don't fear God or because you don't love God? Are your fears of people and things a reflection of your lack of fear or love for the Lord? Is your God too small or far away or aloof? As I promise you, according to the scripture, he is near, he is close, he is a big God, he is powerful, he is not afraid of demons or the evil one. He is alone, the God who saves. He is alone, the God who loves us. And because he has loved us and sent his spirit to indwell us, we can download that agape love to love him back and to love other people, believers and unbelievers. How about it? How about it? Have you overcome fear in your life, gone beyond fear to this whole life of love? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. You took the first step, many, many steps. <laughs> you took thousands of steps to love us before we even knew about you. Thank you for that great love. Thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness, that chesed of the Old Testament. We so often are conscious of our failure, and yet you, you keep on loving. You just take a beating from us, but you keep coming back with that overwhelming love. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to hate sin. Help us to desire this filling of the spirit and through it, the manifest of fruits of the spirit to let this agape love flow through us to those perhaps that we would never engage with otherwise. Thank you for this time in your word. We love you, but not enough. We fear you, but not enough. And please, Postscript, would you please send your son Jesus really soon? It's getting rough down here. Give us your grace until he comes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.